Before we begin then, let's all take a moment to bring our palms together in veneration of the Magnificent One, the Undefeated One, Perfect One, the Fully Awakened One, the Unparalleled One, He's our Master, <coughs> our Guide and our Teacher. He who shows us the path to liberation from all suffering and to the end of samsara. As we do so, let us also remind ourselves that we take a pledge, an oath of our allegiance to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha as we navigate this journey to its ultimate end so we can all attain ultimate bliss. Let us bring our palms together now in paying veneration to his holy name. Namo tasse bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arahato Samma Sambuddhasse Namo Thasse Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasse We have some questions from our online listeners. I just quickly had a glance at some of them. And then the thought that occurred to me was for them to be asking these questions How much has already happened in their lives? I always say, you know, these sermons, they're not really for you. Although, I talk to you. You don't need me. You have the Mahasangha. You have the monks, the members of the Mahasangha present at the monastery. You come here, you can talk to them. There are 124 Oh, just over 100, now I lose count. <laughs> something, something over 100. I think 119 or something, like last count. Then there are the Anagarikas. And the Anagarikas, you can come and talk to them about your problems. Clarify any doubts you have in the teaching, the instruction, the guidance. You can discuss your problems, there are counseling sessions to resolve your issues. It is overwhelming, really, how much goodness happens through this one monastery. I imagine all monasteries in this world are like this. It's incomprehensible, the amount of goodness that can be done 
when people come together, united in purpose, and with compassion and kindness and benevolence towards all sentient beings, the less that people think about themselves, the more they are free to think about goodness. All evil is rooted in this thinking about oneself. All evil. The more one thinks about oneself, the more one is inclined to do evil. All badness happens when one thinks about oneself. Just You can think about your own lives, whether this is not the case. The ten unmeritorious deeds, they're all rooted in what? Thoughts about oneself, isn't it? But just think about how all of us together, not just the monks, there are bhikkhus and bhikkhunis and upasakas and upasikas. All of us. See, the fact that these people who listen to us online are able to listen to them and then some come along and then come and join our ranks. You know, this is evidence of all the work you've done. If remotely, online, we've been able to do so much, can you imagine what must happen to them once they get here? <laughs> if we can do so much over a camera, over the internet, just imagine how much goodness will happen to them when they're in and amidst the Mahasangha, when they're, a, when they're roaming amongst yourselves, when every man or woman or child you bump into is an Aryan or someone who's trying to be an Aryan. And you're always bumping into the right kind of people. It's incredible. You must rejoice in all this, ladies and gentlemen. The fact that, you know, I, I'll read some of these questions to you and they're quite profound. You know, they're not just asking them some silly questions, they're asking deep questions. But then to be able to understand enough of the Dhamma to ask, such questions is just, personally, it's quite mind-boggling how, how they can even come up with such questions. You know, when, when you have a student ask a question, right, you get the gist of whether they've gotten it or they haven't. So the fact that they're asking these kind of questions, I think it's really kudos to all of you who've made this happen. If not for that camera, how would they be listening to these talks? If not for this microphone? I didn't bring them when I came here. This is your doing. If not for those who transcribe these sermons, time log them. You know, we all have a part to play. And it's not just the senior people I have. Some of these transcriptions, they're done by our 18 minus Anagarikas. Children, young children. Some of our 18 minus Anagarikas, they're the ones who edit some of these talks and prepare them to be uploaded online. You know, just think about what their lives used to be like. They used to go online, yes, back then as well. And every online, they went, they went a bit offline as well. <laughs> but now, you know, their purpose of going online is to help others to come online. I mean, online to the sasana. Incredible. All the effort that goes into this. 
goodness, for the sake of goodness, not for anybody's sake, not for me, not for you, not for anyone, but goodness for the sake of goodness. Because good is good, isn't it? Should good belong to someone? No. Good doesn't belong to someone, good is good. We all try to be good. So we can all try to be good because good doesn't belong to anyone. If I was good, then how can you be good without my permission? You'd have to come and get my permission for it. And then if I was good, and the more good you became, and you took some of my goodness, and I would become bad again. It's not like that. These things are not material things. So it really is quite overwhelming how much goodness happens through one monastery. And if all monasteries are like this, which I'm sure they are, just imagine how much goodness must be happening throughout the world right now. Right now. In every part of the world. If everyone is a Buddha aspirant, just imagine that. Everyone making efforts and strides as much as they possibly can to, fr to free themselves from this self-centered thinking and to become someone better, bigger than them. By the way, where, where is this Jetavanaram monastery? In India. Then how come in a country far away from here, many thousands of miles from here, there's someone who's translating these talks into Turkish? And then how come there is someone in a country far away from here, across the seas, they're translating these talks into Dutch? How come? If Jetanarama Monastery is in Ingiria, now what are they doing there then? Is that not part of Jetanarama Monastery? That's why, where a monastery is, you cannot indicate on a map because Ramaniyani Aranyan. Yattano Ramati Jana. That's where a monastery is. Yes. A monastery is what you are. In each and every one of you, there is a budding monastery. That's why when we all come together, there's a big monastery. And you don't have to be under this roof, on this chair right now for that. There's a monastery within each and every one of you. So that when people talk to you, when they speak to you, when they come and see you, when they have a problem and they, they discuss that with you, it is infectious, isn't it? Just look around the room. Is it not people you brought along? Someone brought someone else along. Infectious. Some of them came and they went, but surely to come again on another day. Others came and they stayed. That's the way it is. This is your doing. You are the monastery. You are Jetavanara. That's why they say it's exclusively for aspirants of Nibbana. In fact, it is exclusively the aspirants of Nibbana. That is what Jetavanara Monastery is. So wherever there are men, women and children, 
throughout this world, aspiring to Nibbana, truly, doing whatever they can for the betterment of mankind, doing whatever they can for goodness, for wholesomeness, I believe that is where Jaitanaram is. It is not for those who seek lustful desires. It is not for those who, who are caught up in the pangs of aversion or in the fog of delusion. It is not for those. That's why he says, Yatta Naramati Janu. It is not for those who dwell in Raga, Dvesha and Moha, but for those who are Vitaraga, either having achieved that or aspiring to that. Are you not all one of them? All aspiring to become Vitaraga. What is Vitaraga? Free of Raga, free of desire. Free of aversion and free of delusion. The very temperaments of the mind which get you to think about yourself, that's it. You know, this is the perfect system. A world can only exist for as long as its inhabitants think about themselves. It's a masterful creation, I tell you. (laughs) You know, now that we take a step aside and we look at it, how the world works, those days we used to look at the world through the books of, through, through our study of economics and <coughs> physics and chemistry and biology. Right? We thought of them as the triple sciences. So we thought science explains the world. It did, it, and it does, but not that science. Vidya, that science. Through a different kind of science, now we look at the world and we understand the reason this world exists is because people think about themselves. If people stop, if everyone stopped thinking about themselves, this world wouldn't exist. Existence cannot happen. See, a family exists because they think about themselves, right? What is a family? It's a unit. For a unit to exist, they have to think about themselves, about the connections they have with each other. Because if they stop thinking about that, then a family disperses. How do chemical compounds exist? Because of the bonds they have with each other. Ionic bonds, compound covalent bonds, and hydrogen bonds, and so on. Doctor Chemistry, am I right? See, I, I can be. I, it's fine to be wrong now, <laughs> because we have amongst ourselves PhD holders in chemistry and physics and math and science and so on. I can just speak my mind freely. It doesn't matter what comes out of it because there's always people to check me and correct me even if I go wrong. So a compound can only exist for as long as there are bonds that hold those, hold the molecules, the atoms that make it up together. So it becomes a unit. You yourselves, until your understanding of the Dhamma has been perfected, you are a unit. A unit that is self-sufficient and strives to be self-sufficient all the time. That's why to be sufficient, what you try and do is get the things you need around you towards you. You try and pull them towards you. You know, the force that acts within each and every one of you is a centrifugal force. It acts towards you, not away from you, acts towards you. So the things that you want, you pull towards you. The things that you dislike, you push away from you. 
centripetal force. And therefore you survive. When you need to be happy, you look around the room, see what things make me happy. Ah, I like the air conditioner, I better sit where somewhere I can get the cool air. <laughs> or maybe it's too cold and I'll try and move myself where it's not so cold. I like those flowers, I should buy them. How much? Oh, so I need money then. So to get some money, I need to go find someone else who needs something that I have. And if I give them what I have, they'll give me what they have. I see. So for that transaction to happen, you need two people who need something. Right? The world can only exist if you scratch my back and I scratch yours. Think about this. I'm, I'm inviting you to be students of how the world works. You know, here we are, at, we are in a university. We are trying to understand how the universe works. Not just, not just, you know, how this works, not how the microphone works. We are trying to understand how the universe works. This is, this is a university. Buddhist teaching is universal knowledge, universal wisdom, because it teaches how everything works, how anything can exist, how anything can survive. How does a kingdom work? For a kingdom to work, you have to have a king, who's the ruler, and you have to have the subjects. And they must all be loyal, shouldn't they? If the subjects are disloyal, then that kingdom wouldn't last very long. Meaning, everyone should pull in the same direction. Everyone should be pulling towards the same thing. That's when a kingdom can exist. Are you not a kingdom? Is this country not a kingdom? You know, everyone's fighting for their own interests. You know, you hear about wars happening throughout the world, right? Just have a think about why people are fighting each other. You know, it's because you fail to see that just as I am a human being, the others are also human beings. You can't have a war if two people are willing to look at things from the other person's perspective, right? You can't have a war then. You can only have a war if people think about themselves. Hmm? So, for, for instance, right, this gentleman walks into the room and there's only one chair left. Another person walks into the room. There can only be a war if the, both of them only think about themselves. How about if the gentleman says, Sir, please, go ahead, you have a seat. No war. What about if the other person said, No, it's fine, you can have a seat. No war. But you have a war when people fight for the same resources. Whether it's land, whether it's the air we breathe, or the water that we use, whatever. That's why in the sasana, our purpose is sadhu. Which sadhu? This sadhu. Sadhu is the eradication of self. That is what sadhu is. The eradication of self. How do you chase a dog when you see one? Do. <laughs> a stray dog. Hmm? That is to chase something away. 
something or someone or you know an animal particularly you chase it away do not do not those do's do not just any old do do and this sense of self is swat separation unit unitary thinking identity based thinking so swadhu is sadhu 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 <laughs> see this is a karmasta karmasta remember those days when you have the perahara now i used to be in the mal perahara the dhamma school i used to go to i love them You've been in one of them? Malpera? <clears throat> I didn't have a bicycle. I've told you that story. My parents never got me one. But I used to, I used to carry the flag in our Dhamma school. So bystanders, as they would watch us walk along the streets, they used to go, Sadhu, 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 Sadhu. If you recall, you know, in villages, I have to say villages because people those days, they knew what they were saying. Today, you know, they think, uh, why, why say sadhu so many times? Just say once. In fact, you know, if, you, if they know that we have sadhu, then why, why do we have to say it at all? <laughs> it's like saying wet paint, right? You know, one guy, smart guy comes along and says, why do you say it's wet paint? Well, if you're going to put a board up, surely it's because it's wet. So take out the wet part, just put paint. <laughs> huh? So they put the board, paint. Then another smart guy comes along and he says, I can see it's painted. You don't have to tell me it's painted. So take out that board as well. So now they cannot paint as well. So the next guy comes and sits on it. <laughs> you shouldn't be too smart. <laughs> It's good to be smart. Shouldn't be too smart. They're smart and they're smart too smart for your own good, isn't there? Shouldn't be too smart. Smart enough is fine. Optimally smart. So it's like you know. So those days, if you go and speak to your grandfather, your grandmother, right? If they're still with you, go and ask them why, Achi. Did people used to say? Sadhu, 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 sadhu. Sometimes, you know, rarely I hear in the Dakinayo, Perhara. Some people still do that. Why do they do that? Kāyana Sangharo Sādhu To the body, I do what? Sādhu This is Kāyana Pasana See how profound they are? Satra Sati Of course, because that is what the Buddha's instruction was Ekāyana 
ආයම් භික්කවේ මංගෝ සත්තානං විසුද්ධිය සෝක පරිද්දවානං සමතික්කමය දුක්ඛ දෝමනස්සානං අත්තංගමය න්‍යායස්සා දිගමය nibbanasa satcha kiriyaya yadi jantattaru satipatta people knew these things back then but today people are far too busy because today people's purpose is not freedom from suffering it is to create their own suffering that's what most people do in trying to build a world around them and bring everything that they want towards them you only create more suffering it is counterintuitive it's pointless doing that because everything you are an owner to everything that belongs to you you become its caretaker don't you whatever you have to your name you have to look after it but those days people only used what they needed in fact what people did was they used things they were not used by things today people are used by the things that they use because they want to own things i always ask you what is this pen for is to write not to own those you know people this is to write not to own people knew that those days but today it's not enough to have it's not enough for there to be a pen it has to be my pen it has to be my pen those days they only used to be kalyanamittas now they are best friends and when there are best friends there are enemies as well worst enemies best friends and worst enemies but those days they know they didn't used to be best friends or worst enemies they were only kalyanamitras sadhu vachaya sangaru with restraint and proper conduct of the speech ultimately these are all mental practice mental mental attitude right you develop that but these are the ways in which they manifest that is also a requirement for sadhu in your speech do you say things which are self-centered what is a lie after all I don't mean the white lies. I mean like the proper lies. When do you lie? You don't lie now. You don't do you? Those days, donkeys years ago. When you used to lie, what did you lie about? Or what did you lie for? For whom? Huh? For me, of course. Did you take this? No, 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 no. I didn't take it. He took it. even at the expense of somebody else right i have to be fine i have to be good who has to end up in prison not me somebody else see unwholesomeness couldn't be seen as unwholesomeness and wholesomeness couldn't be seen as wholesomeness they have to belong to someone that's why there were used to be good people and bad people they used to be but now it has become that good people and bad people there are no good people and bad people there are people and there is goodness and badness or wholesomeness and unwholesomeness all people should aspire to wholesomeness all people because after all everyone's after happiness aren't they so if everyone is after happiness then 
There are those who take the right path to happiness and there are those who take the wrong path to happiness. That's all. They only take the wrong path to happiness because of their ignorance. So what must you do with someone who is ignorant? Give them wisdom. Show them the path. Show them the light. Put them on another journey. Show them right from wrong and then they'll be back on the right path. That's it. What are we all doing coming here? Hmm? You all used to go and you know, take various paths on the way to trying to find happiness. But we were on the wrong path. And they now teach us to pity on us. And out of mercy and compassion, they put us on the right path. <clears throat> so bodily actions and verbal speech, where your conduct is self-centered, the sasana is to do sadhu on both these aspects. If you kill, you kill because you think about yourself. Self-preservation. That is why you kill. If you take another life, you do it for self-preservation. If you steal, you do it for self-preservation. Because, you know, this, think about it, folks. Stealing is bad, is it not? Stealing is bad because someone loses out. But then why do people steal? Because he who is losing out is not me. That's why. So when you have self-based thinking, self-centered thinking, of course stealing will happen because the loss is not to you, it's to somebody else. <clears throat> Indulging or engaging in sexual, sensual misconduct. Sometimes people do these things and they know that this is going to bring heartbreak to somebody. It's going to destroy someone's life. But they do it because they have to think about themselves. When vexation takes over, right, the pressure has built up within you, what can you do? You have to relieve yourself from that vexation. This is hardly the time to think about others. Then you fail to see the, the, the plight that's going, that it's going to leave, these actions are going to leave others in. You fail to see the misery that is going to bring on other people's lives. And then you engage in that, and you indulge in that. <clears throat> because in those moments you are vexing. Because of this sense of self. Because once the self is experienced and perceived in the mind, now there are things that the self wants. That's why the other day, if you remember, I said, Jati is the best word for this, right? And if you, if you ask me for a translation of this word Jati, I'm not going to say it's birth. Typing. Not this typing. But a type of something. That is Jati. And I believe that the word that was used back in the Buddha's time for this, to convey this idea of type, was Jati. Because when jati happens in the mind, you sense different types of things. These are the types, these are dumb, sometimes these are other types. She's not my type, he's my type. Types. So there are pen types and pencil types and board types and chair types, you know, there are all sorts of types. So when you feel that you are a type, then there are things that are conducive to your existence and there are those things that are destructive to your existence. Constructive and destructive. So 
those things which are constructive to your to your existence you try and bring them towards you so that you can continue to sustain yourself <coughs> self preservation abhisankar is that self preservation focused on one thing the self sankara effort effort continued towards one purpose that is to preserve the self experience the self and continue to preserve it it's a little deep for saturday morning isn't it shall i tell you a nice jataka story i am telling you a jataka story this is one <laughs> this is jataka story no yes this is jataka story this is the story of jati think about all the unmeritorious deeds they're all based in self-centered thinking so if there's a reason why you are no longer committing these offenses then that can only be one reason either you have developed an acute sense of patience you're very good at patience now but the more you rev up your patience the more you have to be patient the more vexatious it is for you right it's like trying to contain all that pressure within you without releasing it it will be okay for others but internally it will be traumatizing won't it when you have to be patient about something who enjoys standing in a queue <clears throat> that's why it gives you a sense of delight when the person in front of you says mm, you know what I can't say anymore I have to go oh have a good day sir but what if someone jumps in in front of you so you don't like standing in a queue that's why then you'll quickly remind them hello mr there's a queue here right and in a queue you have to you know first come first served right back please even if you can't don't have the courage to to speak those words you go like you know the these geckos this is gecko sankara no it is never wondered why the geckos go is what they were used to be doing and used to doing as a human <clears throat> you walk in along the road someone jumps in front of you go gecko sankara so if you ever catch yourself doing that again then remind yourself ah now i know what i'm going to be kesara sara <laughs> the future is yours to see parichaya samapada always helps you to see your future it also helps you to see your past what were the thoughts that lingered in my mind if you ever have this question look at yourself in the mirror today those were the thoughts that lingered in your mind what will i be in the future if that question ever comes into your mind take a moment and contemplate on the thoughts that are in your mind right now that is what you will be in future if you are angry now and if you feel fiery 
then you will be somewhere that is fiery. If your heart is full of bliss, pure bliss, compassion and kindness, that is where you will be. If you are just joyful all the time, blissful all the time, no matter what comes your way, nothing is too much trouble, nothing is too much effort. Because your mind is always at peace, then that is where you will be. We make our future. So the future today. It is so true. In those words is enca encapsulated the essence of Patisamupada, the future today. <laughs> See, I'm very happy today. <laughs> I'm trying to smile, <laughs> wipe this smile off my face and it's not going anywhere. <laughs> Because I am sharing with you about 5% of what's running through my mind right now. And I'm trying to get those thoughts and ideas into words in a way that you understand. It's not too fast, too slow, right? So it feels like today's a good day. Good morning, everyone. Vachaya Sangvaro Sadhu. So, Kayana Sangvaro Sadhu. Vachaya Sangvaro Sadhu. Then, Manasa Sangvaro Sadhu. In your thoughts, ultimately it's all thoughts, of course. But it is the way you, it is the way those thoughts manifest. That's where the differences are. You know, all the unmeritorious deeds, right, they're all unmeritorious, not because of the deed. It's because of the chetana, because of volition. Volition is what is evil, and volition is what is good. <clears throat> in the Buddha's own words, that is karma. And that is so there are the good karmas and bad karmas, wholesome deeds and unwholesome deeds, and they're all volition-based. It is the volition itself that is either good or bad, not the actual deed itself. So where your volition is self-centered, that is abhisankara again. Chetana. <coughs> Excuse me. Chetana is the construction of the thought. The construction of the thought. If the construction of the thought is based in the self, then you'll either have punya karma or papa karma. Good deeds and bad deeds. But they'll all be, they'll all, you know, either good or bad, they'll all have something in common. They're all self-centered. That is why it is only an Aryan, at least someone who's, a, who's, a, who's aspiring to be a Sotapan. Dhammanusari, Saddhanusari, at least someone who has come up to that point can actually do acts of generosity and charity, right? And not think about oneself. Otherwise, even goodness is done because it makes me feel good. If it won't make me feel good, then chances are you won't be doing that good at all. You give something to someone perhaps because, you, perhaps, so that they turn around and say, say thank you. And they say how, how nice you are and how good you are. 
but then you fail to see the need and address the need. If you are able to address the need, then it doesn't matter whether they say thank you or not. You don't need it. Let you, you let them say it, but you don't need it. At the end of a sermon, you know, people who listen to it, they come and they come and make their respect, show their respect to the the Swami Nuance. It is an act that we allow you to do, so that you can get the merits out of it. I don't come here for the your worship. I think you understand that. Because worship is not that. Worship is not something you can do with your arms and your feet together, your legs and your arms and your hands. It's not something you can do that way. Because, you know, you could come and get on your knees and swear like all sorts of profanity, but outwardly you are showing a mark of respect. But inwardly you are thinking, to hell with this young, <laughs> with this monk. So is that, a, is that a worship? That's no worship. Worship is not that. But we allow people to do that. Just as, as I say, you know, if you, your children, you should allow your children to worship you. You encourage, parents should encourage their children to worship them. It is for their own good, not for yours, not to make you feel like, you know, you've done something with your lives. See, I've brought my children up very well. Now they worship me. How good I am. No, no. <clears throat> I must be good because my parents, my children worship me. They must be good. That's why they worship you. Not you must be good. So sadhu, 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 sadhu. Hmm? You've heard that, haven't you? Kāyana Sangharo Sadhu, Vachaya Sangharo Sadhu, Manasa Sangharo Sadhu, Sadhu, Sabbatha Sangharo. There's your four. Sabbatha. Sabbatha. Sangvaru. Through ignorance and attachment, all things that are conditioned are perceived as entities. Sabba is all. But through ignorance and attachment, all things are considered or are perceived as one. As one, you know, they're individual things. You perceive them as individual things. <clears throat> Those that thought that you have has what has what is what has led you to conduct physically, verbally, and mentally in ways that are harmful and deleterious to others, that cause others hurt and pain. This sense that there are individual things. This is why sadhu is such a profound word, ladies and gentlemen. But that might be the, have been the first word you ever heard in a sasana. Remember when you were younger, your parents used to go take you to the Swami Nwasi temple and say, Puta sadhu kya? Say sadhu. 
Saya sadu tu sadu. <laughs> See, if I am a sadu, then just take for a moment and think about what it is my what my purpose must be. Yes, I am a sadu. So sadhu must be happening within here, shouldn't it? If that's not happening within me, I'm no sadhu. I'm asadhu. Are you a sadhu? Not are you asadhu, are you a sadhu? I'm asking you. Hmm? Those with those prayer mats on your, on your shoulders, particularly those of you, as well as the others, Upasakas and Upasikas, are you sadhus? Anagarika sadhus? Hmm? Anagarika sadhus? Venerable sadhus? As I call them, most venerables and all most venerables. That's good, no? I don't know where they come from. <laughs> Sometimes I'm impressed by the things that I say. At least someone has to be impressed with what I say, if nobody else is. <clears throat> sadhu. Sadhu is such a profound word. I, you know, I, I share these things with you so that next time you say sadhu, contemplate on the meaning. So that it's not just an utterance. Because if it's just an utterance, sing Baba Black Sheep. What difference does it make? It's just another word, but if you can actually contemplate on the meaning behind it, right, then it, you don't even have to say the word. Nibbana will happen within you if you do sadhu. See, the monk says, right, pingotuni, sadhu See? How profound. He says that right at the beginning of the sermon, doesn't he? Perhaps sometimes the first thing the monk says when he, come, when he ascends to his seat, to the Dharmasana, and he says, right, everyone is running around here and there, making a bit of noise. He says, all right, all right, Pengadani sadhu Sadhu bala. See? What he's saying is, right, we are all here for purpose. It's time that we all did sadhu. So let's come together for that. It's a drum roll. Come on, it's time to attend Nibbana. <laughs> It's not just something that is used to discipline an audience. It's not just something that is said to bring everyone and come along and sit, to, and sit together for the sermon. What the, what the Swaminans is saying is, I have come here for sadhu. I have come here for sadhukara. The actions that lead you to sadhu, that is a sadhukara. So come for that. It's an invitation. An invitation to attain Nibbana. Uh, who would have thought? That's why in every word, right? If it is if it is something that has been inherited to us by the sasana, never take it at face value. There is unfathomable depth in these words. Only the Buddha can ever tell you the full depth, breadth, and width of all of this. We just try and make an effort to understand as best we can. In fact, if the Buddha were here today, he'd look at me and sneer at me. That's all he knows. 
That's what he thinks Adhikar is. <laughs> he would have said. So forgive me, Venerable Sir, but this is all I know for now. Sabbat Sangutho Bhikkhu. Sabbat Sangutho Bhikkhu. So who's a Bhikkhu then? Sabbat Sangutho. Sabba Atta Sangutho. One who has understood that it is through ignorance and attachment that Sabba becomes Atta. Sabba is all. So all things. All things are Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana. All things can be distilled into these five groups. Rupa is Rupa. All types of Rupa. And then they are perceived through the process of Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana. Once you have considered all five of these things, now every form of energy in this world is encapsulated within that. There is nothing that escapes these five. Everything is contained within that. All Rupa, entirety of Rupa, everything. And there are thoughts. These are the, the thoughts are your instruments to perceive matter. Because ultimately what there is is matter and the awareness of matter. That is what there is. To put it quite simply, that is what Nama Rupa is. Rupa is matter and Nama is the awareness of matter. Once you have these two, that's it, the whole world there. You can be rightly aware or wrongly aware. <coughs> that is the presence of ignorance or wisdom. If you are rightly aware of matter, then there is no suffering. But become wrongly aware of matter, now you are out of mindful awareness. Yeah. See, we need to understand what mindful awareness truly is. Because it's, it's a big thing these days. Everyone's talking about mindful awareness. I've mentioned this to you in the past. Matter, 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 matter. That is not mindful awareness. That's just bringing your thoughts onto one thing and just focusing on one thing. It's you know, like a, uh, what do you call them, um, like a shooter in the army, like a sniper. They have their gun, like they have their target. They don't think about anything else. Just focused on one thing, the target. They have trained their thinking, their focus so sharp that, you know, even if a bomb blew up behind them, it doesn't distract them. When you're in an exam, where, is your, where are your thoughts? On the exam paper, right? When you're watching a film, where are your thoughts? On the film. When you're listening to music, where, is your, where are your thoughts? On the music. If that is mindful awareness, what did the Buddha give us? If you can you know, focus on your breath, like if that is what mindful awareness is, I can't believe that that is what the Buddha gave us. Because anyone could do that. Focus on your breath. You do have to be a sotapanna to be able to focus on your breath. Focus on where the breath meets the nostrils, where the air blows up and down on the lips, on the nostrils, on the bridge of the nose, on the forehead and the head and wherever. <coughs> that is trying to focus your mind on one thing. I mean, that has its own merits. I don't argue with that. But what I'm saying is, that may be awareness. It's just not mindful awareness. The mindfulness that we speak of 
He is being mindful of, you know, rightly mindful. What is this sub and how can it be atta? It cannot be atta because the nature of all things is anatta. But for as long as ignorance and attachment prevail in the mind, then everything that is anatta is seen as atta. Everything that is anicca is seen as nicca. Dukkha is seen as sukha. Again, self-based thinking. Actually, it's not self-based thinking. What it is, is separate thinking. Not separated thinking, but thinking that there are things that are separate. Entities, entity-based thinking. And the first entity that you experience or perceive is the experience of what you're experiencing right now as the self. Right? So just imagine the mind didn't go through this, this whole process of jati, right? and then just one fine day, separation. Right? Now the mind looks at things in a, in, through this, through this, through this uh, perspective of separation. The first thing it's going to experience is, is a self. Because that is, the, that is the most basic and most primitive experience of separation. Once that happens, then you see others as well. There are, this is myself, this is yourself. And then there are their selves, and herself, and himself, and itself. So what is self then? Yes. So the, the problem with using this word birth is people construe it as birth, right? Being born as a human being. I mean, I, we've seen lots of places where people think that that is what birth is. Because if you, you are born, then you grow old and you die. So people say if you try, if you stop rebirth, then you will no longer age and you will, you will not de- decay and you will not die. So birth is fine. The problem is disease, decay and death. Is it not? When you, when, you take a, when you think of jati as birth, right, and you misunderstand what birth is. Yes, birth is the, the birth of delusion, the birth of jati, the birth of separation. Yeah? But when you think of birth as being the birth of someone, then birth is fine. That's why people celebrate birth. What is the day in the year that you have to celebrate birth? Hmm? The birthday. Yeah? We celebrate birthdays. If people understood that birth was the birth of separation, do you think that's the day to celebrate? It's not a day to celebrate. But it is the day, in, in, you know, in today's world, people celebrate birthdays. Because birth is not a problem. Everyone likes birth, you know, the birth of a new child. Birth. But what they don't like is aging. They don't like disease. They don't like decay. That is why, you know, you go back into... I go back in, in the, in the, into the scriptures, right? And when the Prince Siddhartha, he went out and roamed uh, his kingdom without the permission of his father, but with uh, Channa, his minister, right? he, he said that he walked around the, the kingdom, he was given a tour, and then he saw a decayed man, a decaying man, an old man, right? A sick man, a dead man, and a mendicant. And so... He stopped to wonder, why is it that they grow old? Why do they die? Why do they age? Why do they fall ill? I have to go find the answer to that. And then it is said that later on under the Bodhi tree, he realized that it is all because of birth. 
Ah, yes, of course, makes sense, doesn't it? If people are born, <laughs> then they decay, they, they age, then there is disease, and of course, eventually there is death. So if you have to stop birth, then if you can, if you can manage to stop birth, then there is no old age, there's no aging, there's no decaying, and there's no sickness, and there's no death. But the problem is people like to be born. Here's where you have the dilemma. <laughs> That's where people get stuck. No, they, they like the birth part. They just don't like the aftermath of that. So how do we keep the birth part, but get rid of the death part? And then people think, tough, what to do? <laughs> Unfortunately, right, if I have to stop dying, I have to stop being born. Tough. I wish it was some other way. <laughs> This is, the, this is the thinking that people have. They, they, they honestly think this. How do I know this? <laughs> this is the thinking that people have. Yes, so they say that is dependent origination. That if you are born, then you will age, you will so you'll have to, you'll be subject to disease, and then you will die. Unfortunately, those three things are terrible. Birth is okay. Aging is bad, disease is bad, and death is bad. So it's bad. <laughs> but birth is fine. <laughs> but birth is fine. So is there some way we can be born and stop these three <coughs> things? Tell me, what is science trying to do after all? We talked about this last week. Was it here or in Rajagiri? Rajagiri, was it? People trying to revive themselves from death one day when technology is advanced enough. And so they freeze their bodies. I think that the field of study is called cryonics. So they freeze the body and eventually one day when science is advanced enough to, re to uh, resurrect the dead, right, you can come back and live amongst them. So then you're un the undead. So, so you see, the problem is then aging. You ask people, you know, what do you wish? If you could wish for something, people say, I wish I didn't age. So I could be youthful. Huh? So I could be energetic. So I could do all the things I want to do. But unfortunately, I age. Right? Because I age, people don't, maybe they leave me and go. I don't get to be with my, my family. I don't get to be with my friends. I don't get to do all those lovely things I used to be able to do. Now I'm old. If, if there was some way I could reverse time. People are investing, you know, they're researching time travel so that they could go back in time and, and rejuvenate themselves. Anti-aging creams. You know this stuff, right? It's big, it's big money in these industries. If you told someone there's a cream that you, if you can apply that on your body, huh, you will never look aged. People will pay top dollar for that. As they do. You know I'm not making this stuff up. It is true. Go to any good cosmetic store. Anti-aging creams, they're all over the place. What if there was an anti-disease medicine? And you take your vaccines, so you don't fall ill. But imagine if there was a vaccine that you could take and you would have no disease whatsoever. Completely disease-free. Don't you think people would opt for that? Don't you think people would like that? 
Don't you think there's research going on in some laboratory somewhere? Isn't that why people are trying to, you know, reverse engineer DNA and trying to find out those genomes which are responsible for various diseases and then trying to extract those parts of DNA and then recombine that DNA and then make it disease-free, aging-free, and if possible one day? Yes. What is it? Death-free. Give people the chance to be immortal, they'll take it. But, of course, you, it has to come with the condition that I can always have the things I like and things that I don't like have to be taken away from me. These are particularly those things that you don't like. And it's not just the people you don't like, it's not just the things you don't like, but what about these things? You know, they, are, they seem to be inherent in yourself. So when you think of birth as being that birth, now birth is fine. It's perfect. It's wonderful. It's what people wish for. People want it without the package. Unfortunately, it doesn't come that way. So people have to make their minds up. What to do? If only we could just have birth and not these three others, other, you know, the other three things, we would have gone for that, is what people say. But what does the Buddha say? <laughs> this is the biggest culprit. This is where it all starts. Bahupachya hmm? jati and then jati pachya. So again, people misunderstand that. See? Jati Pacha. Jara Marana Shoka Parideva. Yo. Dukkha Khandasa Samadevahoti. Yes, Dukkha Khandasa Samadevahoti. Flawed thinking. Of course, you know, it has to be that way until you become a Sotapanna at the very least. How can you understand what these things mean? Because Jati in the Buddha's tradition is one and Jati in the worldly teaching is another. They're very two different and separate schools of thought. They, are, they cannot be one and the, one of the same. They cannot be. And Aryan thinking is very different when un, and a non-Aryan thinking. It cannot be one and the same. In these worlds of Devas and Maras and Brahmas and humans, none have discovered this before me, is what the Buddha said. I have discovered this without anybody's help. Because I tried to get instruction and guidance and teaching from others, but no one was able to show me and teach me the truth of Jati. Now I realize, Jati is what happens in the mind. Once you see that, this is the ghost. This is the worst thing that can happen. Not because you age. Not because you age. Not because of disease. Not because of death. Jati itself is the problem. It is where sabbatta happens. That is why you have to sadhu. Here sadhu is a verb. That is why you have to sadhu, because sabbatta happens. Sabbatta sangato bhikkhu sabbadukha pamuchati. So once a bhikkhu comes to this realization that all conditioned things are conditioned things, that they are conditioned, anicca. They understand the nature of anicca. 
Understanding the nature of anicca is understanding that anicca is a noun, not an adjective. We'll talk about that another day. Very briefly, when you say anicca is a noun, you're talking about things that are anicca. The adjective of a noun. Buddha's teaching is to understand that anicca is a noun, not an adjective. No, it doesn't belong to something. It is what it is. It is what is. Anicca is what is. Anicca-ness, if you like. <laughs> not the anicca of something. The moment you talk about anicca of something, once again you have identified an entity and then you're trying to say this is this nicca thing is anicca. That is what you try to do. So it's flawed thinking again. Anyhow, that's a discussion for another day. So this is where the problem is and then we are all striving to understand this. Right? So sadhu 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 sadhu. Kaina sangaru sadhu. Sadhu vachaya sangaru. Manasa sangaru sadhu. Sadhu sabbata sangato. O sangaru sabbata sangato bhikkhu sabbadukha pamuchati. Once you have done these four, the four being kaina, vachaya, manasa, and Sorry? Yes. Once you've done those four, now that is what sadhu is. It's a summation of all that. You can consider it like the, the uh, Sadrasati Patana as well. Right? Kaya Nupasana. Again, Vedana Nupasana. Chitta Nupasana. Dhamma Nupasana. Once you've done these four, that is the entirety of sadhu. That's why there is a long sadhu at the end. It's not sadhu, 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 is it? It's sadhu, 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 sadhu. It's a rejoicement. Once I've done these four, all the doing is done. All that needs to be done is done. Done. Dusted. <laughs> I'm just, you know, this is one interpretation of it. There are plenty more. <clears throat> there are plenty more. You could say this is sadhu is of uh, rupa. There is also another interpretation. That's perfectly fine. Right? Freeing this unitary or individualized thinking of rupa is also sadhu. Then Vedana, another sadhu. Sanya, another sadhu. Sankara, another sadhu. Vijnana, another sadhu. Sadhu, 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 sadhu. <laughs> That's another way of thinking. Matters not. But all I'm asking you to do is, all I instruct you and advise you to do is, is sadhu, yes. And when you say, when you give a sadhu karan, whatever that might be, the incident, the event, the, the, you know, the, the occurred, the occurring, whatever that might be, do it mindfully. Don't just say sadhu just for the sake of it. Say it with meaning. Because then, in that moment, ladies and gentlemen, you are doing yonis or manasikara. Because what we are striving to do really is as many of those, as many of those yonis or manasikara moments is what's going to take you to Nibbana. Every time you do a yonis or manasikara, an instance of yonis or manasikara is one step in the direction of Nibbana. Every ayonis manasikara you do is a step back. So if every, every other thought that you have is one of yonis manasikara and one of ayonis manasikara respectively, you're never going to go anywhere. You're stationary. One step forward, one step back. You're not going anywhere. So to attain Nibbana, you have to do as many yonis manasikara moments then the Ayana Samanasikara. It's fine if you, if you can make three steps forward today and two steps back 
at the end of the day. Because once you do the math, do the math at the end of the day, you've moved one step forward. That's fine. It's a, that's a good day. A day where you've done half and half. 12 hours of Yonasa Manasikara, but 12 hours of Yonasa Manasikara. You haven't moved an inch. One step forward, another step back. The best analogy I can think of is you know, like pumping a tube well. Right? You keep on pumping until you get the water. If you stop halfway, the water doesn't stay there for you to come back. Every time you're not pumping, the water settles back down, back down to the well. So you've got to keep on pumping. And then you'll ask, well, Swaminasa, how can we do that? Uh, you know, how can I keep myself in Yonisa Manasikara throughout the day? I mean, that's almost impossible. Do you remember when you learned to ride the bike? When you first got on it, what happened? Fell off. You didn't stop there, you got back on. And then you fell off again. And then you get back on again. You keep doing it more times and you get used to it. The reason that Yonisa Manasikara is so difficult for us is because... So, you know, why is Ayonasa Manasikara not difficult for you? You'll find the answer there. Hmm? It's come with practice. You can do it blindfolded. In fact, really, you know, Ayonasa Manasikara is the thing that you have to do. Yonasa Manasikara, you don't actually have to do anything for that. Once the mind is an Arahant, you know, there is nothing the Arahant has to do to remain an Arahant. But in these thoughts that you have, until you become, become an Arahant, uh, in each thought, you need to do the Ayonasa Manasikara. In each thought, you have, to, you have to do Abhisankara. Each thought, you have to do this. Because the sense of self, does, a self does not exist. So in each thought, you have to have these delusional thoughts. You have to, have, you have to create this ghost, because it doesn't exist. It's like a fl- flashlight or a floodlight. You know, although it seems like the, the light is always there, you know, these lights, it seems like these lights are there. It's not really. In every moment, they're like electrons running through these filaments, lighting this up. That's how it works. So if ever there's something to do, Ayonasa Manasikara is the thing to do. Ayonasa <coughs> Manasikara, once you, once you get there, there's nothing you have to do. But until then, it has to come with practice. So you've got to now understand, why did I commit myself to this path as a monk? And, and why do we keep encouraging people to take that jump, to make, take that leap, and, and, come, and go forth, or rather come forth, is because when you're in this environment, you can have more Yonuso Manasikara moments and fewer Ayonuso Manasikara moments. But in a worldly life, in your lay lives, folks, you're surrounded by people who are Kalyavanamitras. Aren't you? So they're always talking to you about what? The beautiful sights, the wonderful sounds, the nice foods, the nice places to go. See? They're prolonging your existence in sansara by encouraging and inviting and inciting you to do Ayanusa Manasikara. That's why when the, when the Venerable Ananda goes up to the Buddha and says, Venerable Sir, I believe that half of the sasana is, is dependent on a Kalyanamitra. No, 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 Ananda, you got it wrong there. The entirety of the sasana is dependent on a Kalyanamitra. So what is the entirety of sansara then dependent on? Tell me. Hmm? Kalyanamitra. Yes. So then why are you still in sansara? Answer this question for me. 
Need I say more? Then why does Guru Hamdru, from the top of his voice, always ask you to come to the sasana? Because the Buddha sasana is where the truth helps you to do sasana. Sasana is svanasana. Buddha sasana, svasuna. That is why the that is why Guru Tehro asks you and invites you and encourages you to come to the sasana because it is the Kalyana Mitras that will guide you to that. Once you're here, you can't do what you want. Guru Hanrove says that, right? He says, even I can't do what I want. He's right. But he's the head of the monk, uh, the, the, the monastery. He can do whatever he wants, but that's not what he's implying. <laughs> what he's trying to say is, I can't do what I want. Because I want is not what needs to be done. I have to do what the sasana wants. See? It's not the superficial meaning that he's implying. Because he's the head of the monastery. He can do whatever he likes. That's not what he's saying. He doesn't need anyone's authority or anyone's permission to do what he wants. He can do what he wants. But if he does what he wants, now there he means something else. If he does what he wants, then he will never become a Buddha Putra. He has to do what the Buddha wants. In fact, he has to do Buddha. Not what Buddha wants. He has to do Buddha. He has to practice Dhamma. His practice should be Sangha. Therefore, Sasana. That's why he says, I have to do what the Sasana wants. Yes. Sadhu. The Guru Sadhu. This is why, you know, he's always asking, you know, get your children over here. Bring them over here. If you want them to attain salvation, if you want them to be happy, if they want them to be blissful, there's only one way to do it. There's only one way to do it, folks. Whether you like it or not, you have to surround yourselves with Kalyanamitras. You have to. Not because I say so. You know, take, get the scriptures out. Look at the Tripitaka. The Buddha says this. No, Ananda, not half of it. The entirety of it is dependent on a Kalyanamitra. Once you become a Sotapanna, that Kalyanamitra is instilled within yourself. But even still, even still, if a Sotapanna surrounds himself with Kalyanamitras, then their journey to salvation, ultimate bliss, is hastened. It happens much quicker for them. Because even a Sotapanna, there will be moments where he has thoughts of Ayanusimansitara. It is only an arahant who doesn't have these thoughts at all. So until such time, it is essential that you surround yourselves with Kalyanamitra. So where do you have Kalyanamitra? In the shop? Out on the streets? At work? No. Just think about it. You know, what do, they, what do people talk to you about when you are with them? You know, people, they come up and they'll sing praises about you. Even, even the good people. You know, someone comes and says, Good morning, sir. They call you. They call me, sir. I must be important. Say yes, yes, of course. The moment you feel you must be important, you are far from it. <laughs> Would you like some toast? Do you like it with jam? Hmm? Or hazelnut? <laughs> See, they give you choices. They try to. They help you to enjoy the world that you live in. Creature comforts. That's what is there out there, isn't there? And you switch on your TV. 
What do they talk about? How many of those programs are Dhamma sermons versus how many of them are worldly sermons? You know, each of them is a sermon. Every time you hear something, remember it's not you who's doing any of this. It's just happening within you. You're not doing any of this. You are the product of the environment in which you are. Simple as that. You know, put it out and write it in gold letters and stick it up on your wall. I am the product of the environment in which I am. That is why the five people you associate the most completely, completely determine who you are. Remember I used to say, every six months, take stock, hmm? do an audit of yourself. We do audits on our businesses, our, uh, you know, our, our enterprises, but how often do you do an audit on yourself? Who are the five people I spend most of my time with? What are the things I talk about? What are the things I think about? What are the things I do? I do, I do Kaina Sangvaro Sadhu. Do I do Vajai Sangvaro Sadhu? Do I do Manasa Sangvaro Sadhu? Or do I do Kaina Sangvaro Sadhu? Not Sangvaro. Asangvaro. Think about this. You know, if at the end of the day you've taken three steps forward but four steps back, remember, you're still moving in the opposite direction. If you take three steps forward and three steps back, you're, you're where you started. If you take three steps forward and two steps back, you've moved ahead one step. What we are trying to do here at the monastery, by inviting people to come along, and all of you, you know, while you're here on a Saturday morning, a Sunday morning throughout the day, you are surrounded by Kalyanamittas. Right? Even when you eat, Right? Before you, you take your meal, we tell you, huh? before you take your meal, Pratyeksha. Hmm? Contemplate on why you are taking the meal. We say this just in case you are lost in that ocean of food and the tastes and you are not able to do Kaina Sangvaro Sadhu. There's another stanza. Chakuna uh, Sangvaro Sadhu. Restraint of the eye. So this restraint doesn't mean I don't look at bad things. It means you don't look badly. Not don't look at bad things. There are no such things called bad things and good things. You don't look badly. There's, there's looking in a good way, there's looking in a bad way. That looking doesn't happen with the eye. That happens in the mind. But this is an organ, this is an instrument that we use to look but if the mind is working badly, then that sight is perceived badly. Meaning, again, sabbatta. Chakuna sangvaro sadhu. How do you use your eye? How do you use your eye faculty? Sotena sangvaro sadhu. The ear. What do you use your ear for? To listen to things and then to do this prapancha business. Prapancha business is what again? Sabbatta. Take the five and combine together to try to make one. That is prapancha. Production of something. Production, this abhisankara production of the five. Then gahanena sangvaro sadhu. Nose. Not really nose, it's smell. Because sight is nothing to do with the eye really. It's not the eye that sees. 
I'll explain to you that if we have time. It's not the ear that hears. It's not the nose that smells. It's not the tongue that tastes. It's not the body that feels. These are all mental formations. If you don't believe me, let me show this to you for a second. Can we get this thing on screen, please? There was a question along the same lines. Swami Nuhansa, see, now even they say Swami Nuhansa. How good is them? If strawberry doesn't have any flavor, and it's all just in the mind, then how come a bunch of different minds feel the same strawberry flavor if they're all given that taste object? Did I? Oh, you did. Thank you. So let's do it offline now. <laughs> hmm? If strawberry doesn't have any flavor, then how come the strawberries taste the same to everybody? How do you know that they taste the same to everybody? When you say this is sweet, how do you know that another, the next person that says this is sweet means the same thing? Take a look at this for a second. What do you see? Think of it in terms of colors. Because ultimately that's all you see. right? There's a blue background on top. There's like a grass green background on the bottom. Then the top one is what? What color? Great. The bottom one? White, whitish. Hmm? You sure, right? All right, let's try the next slide. All I've done is covered the middle part. Go back again. And back. Try again. So all I'm doing is covering the middle part. Okay? And again. So what did you say earlier? It was grey above and white below. Is it really? And again? Again? See? So what is colour then? You perceive them as separate colours. One more time. You can, you can do it yourself. Just take two fingers and put it in front of your eye and just cover that white strip in the middle. Move it out of the way and you'll see a big difference. Put it back in and you'll see they're the same color. Yes? Yeah. <laughs> but looking at it like this, they're different colors, aren't they? So it's color in the object then. When you put your fingers like that, did you change the object? No, this is a still image. See, your mind is a color factory. That's why I say, it is not the eye that sees. Color is not in the object. 
Your mind is constantly producing color. It takes into account the background as well. There's an algorithm in your mind that runs. It puts the background in contrast and then it perceives color. So color is a perception. Then to think, you know, that's why if you like a black car and if you're willing to pay more for a black car versus a red car, these, are, these colors are a creation of your own mind. For something that you are doing, why are you paying the car dealer? <laughs> You pay extra for that color, don't you? Some things are more expensive because of their color, right? But that color is a production of your own mind. Your mind is creating that color. So for something you're doing, why do you pay the car dealer? So sight is not something, because if sight, when we, call, when we talk about sight, we are just talking about color. You know, if, this, if the whole world was just one color, you wouldn't see anything. So, luckily, the world is of no color. That's why you see so many different shades. <laughs> if the world was one color, you wouldn't see anything. The reason, then, that you see these colors is because there are no colors in this world. There are only pigments. This eye faculty, all it does is it takes light energy, it takes energy, <coughs> and then it triggers the optic nerve through an electrical impulse. We've talked about this in the past. That signal goes to your brain, and the brain does something magical, and then it produces this rupa rupa, which the mind then perceives. So here's what the mind is doing. So kala is a creation of the mind. So what about taste then? What do you think about that? Taste is also a creation of the mind. So when you ask the question, how come two people, they eat strawberries and they both feel the same taste, how can you say that the other person is feeling it exactly the same way? It's like when you say, I love you, and someone says, I love you too. Do you think they're both meaning it the same way? Hmm? So then how can they go and say that to another person as well? <laughs> Don't be fooled by, by the words. Words are simply dev a device that is used to, to, to represent, to communicate a perception. That's the thing. You can never actually communicate your perception. You can only translate your perception to words. That is why we use sanya. We use labels to translate our perceptions into meaningful things so that other, we can communicate those. You know, that is what we talk, when we say communicate, what we're doing is we're we are really translating something we perceive into a medium that can also be, that can be transferred to another mind so that they can perceive it their own way. Now I used this a similar example a long time ago. Do you remember? I was, those days we used to be on the, uh, the other side of the room. I, I talked to you about how they do the sound balancing for an event. Yeah. So two people, even when they're not in the same room, they can still balance sound. What I mean by balance sound is use your mixer 
and to and to you know turn the dials up and down and you can and you can get it to the same to the same uh, degree of intensity loudness right treble bass whatever right you can do that even when the two of them are, have different sense of hearing they don't both have to hear the same thing but what they hear they give that name so for example say what we are trying to the 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 sound that we are trying to get now we are trying to create some sound right and the sound that we are trying to get is uh, is this that's the sound we are trying to get now you all hear it the same way actually do you you can't say that well, i mean the best example is you know there are those who are sat at the back now the, you won't hear it with the same inset intensity as those who are sat at the front so this sound will be perceived differently by all of you but you'll give it one name the other person might give it another name it doesn't matter what that name is for as long as you have given it some name and you remember how this sounded now you can go and reproduce it somewhere else maybe by another name so someone will say one will say this is sound a another will say this is sound b actually it's not a they give it the sound b so now when a these two people they go and produce sound a and the other person goes and produces sound b won't they sound the same so two people this person a this person b right this sound right they give it a code uh, let's say this is x x1 this same sound is heard by someone else but you know say they've got wax in their ear okay let's just assume they've got wax in their ear so they don't actually hear it properly so they hear x2 hmm now we ask him to reproduce that sound not here but somewhere else so x goes to his place wherever and he creates this sound so he puts his table out he brings the glass right and then he 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 creates this sound until he gets that same what he what he remembers he heard initially it's not it's this okay so then what he does is he creates that sound so now you ask this guy you can ask him to come and listen to it and tell what it is so he listens that and he says what it's x2 He said this is x2. This guy said no 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 that's x1. I said no that's x2. But they both hear the same thing. Actually they don't no no they hear the same as what they heard earlier. These two don't have to be the same. Because sound is a creation of the mind. So once the process is there the end result can be different. between these two processes the end result can be different but as long as the same thing keeps happening here right for as long as the same causes because you know this this product ladies and gentlemen is a, is a product of a series of causes so you need the source of sound yes you need the ear you need the uh, the uh, what nerve auditory nerve right you need the brain right and then ultimately you hear the sound Here also you have the same thing. This is the product 
of courses. Now, of course, right, if the speaker was here, right, then this, the level of intensity here is not going to be the same here. That's a different level of intensity. But again, you need to be able to hear the sound. You need, now the ear will be different. The, uh, the auditory nerve will be different. The brain will be different. Different number of cells, different connections, different synapses, right? All, ev pretty much everything is different. <laughs> yeah. Right? Pretty much everything is different. There is not a single thing that is the same. Not a single thing that is the same. And then they perceive a sound. A sound is perceived. So those two sounds can hardly be the same, really. It's almost impossible for you and I to both look at this and see the same red. In fact, it is, it's like, a, you know, like your, your fingerprints. They are unique, aren't they? In the same way, when you look at this and you say, this color is red, the red that you see is unique. No one else sees the same red. No one else. So then how come when we're both trying to get red, we, we produce this? If, it's because of this process. So you will keep fine-tuning the causes until you get your version of red. But we both agreed on this. Although I see a different red and you see a different red, as long as we keep tuning the causes to get this product, okay? Maybe I see green here. What you see as red, perhaps I see as green. Actually, you know, you know the color green, right? This is the color green to you. Perhaps this is what I see when I look at this. I don't know whether you can get what I'm trying to say. Perhaps when you see this, you say this is green. When I see this, I see that color. But we've both agreed to call it red. Okay? So that's why we say, you know, what is... What we use as a name is not in the name. That's why Sanya is used, is the metaphor that is given is, and the metaphor, the simile is, uh, mirage. It's not in the thing. It's not in the name. So when you say something is red, redness is not in the name red. It is only your perception of it. This is simply a perception. You perceive red. You give it a name red. But let... It's possible that what you see when you see this, I see when I see this. Yeah? So now, we are both trying to get red. Your red is my green. Make sense? Whatever you say, Swami <laughs> must be true. <laughs> if your red was my green, right, I'm going to keep Balancing the colors, you know, I'm going to keep adding the pigments until I get green and you get red. We just agreed to call it the same name. You also call it red, I also call it red, but actually I'm seeing what you see when you look at this. Okay? So then we both called it red, but your red is a very different to my red. In fact, no two people have ever seen the same red. These colors are all unique. But the pigments are the same. The pigments are the same because the pigment is an objective factor. It is not subjective. However, color is subjective. Pigment is objective. So strawberry, the taste is objective. The, the, the dhatu, you know, that is objective. That's why in the pure octet, you have varna, gandha, rasa, oja. 
Right? Rasa is a dhatu. That is in an object. But that rasa or this taste, it's not the taste that you experience. The taste dhatu. Much the same like varna dhatu. Yes, varnaka. Right? So we perceive it individually. Those perceptions are, are very different. So your sweetness is different to my sweetness. Your sourness is, my, is different to my sourness. Now that might explain why some people are able to eat some things and they go, that's fine, whereas others go, Ugh, that's yucky, it's too sour, too salty, too sweet. And others go, no, that's fine for me. Because the way they perceive might be very different. What you perceive as, say, a hundred units of sweetness, maybe for someone else, just 75 units. So that's still within their bearable threshold for them. Because taste is a perception. <laughs> See, how many factors must, must, must align for the same taste to be reproduced? It's only the taste dhatu that is the same. But all the other causes are different. It's a different tongue. It's like different, different, uh, different cells. Uh, different, uh, different taste nerve. Different brain, different cells there, different chemicals, different environment, right? So how can two people put a cube of sugar on their tongue, on the tip of their tongue and taste the same sweetness? It doesn't happen like that. But you can reproduce it to get the same taste the next time you do it because you're using almost a similar instruments. That, so in answer to this question, if strawberry doesn't have any flavor... And it's all just in the mind, then how come a bunch of different minds feel the same strawberry? They don't. They don't feel the same strawberry. Whatever they feel, they give it the name strawberry. But because we are both feeling some kind of thing that we call strawberry, we both agree when we taste the same strawberry, we both say that is the strawberry flavor. Because we are both tasting the same strawberry. Does that make sense? Good. If it is not us who feel or experience suffering or pleasure in the future, then why do we bother to avoid the, the four great hells? Hmm. All long for the heavens or even aspire to attain Nibbana. What is the point of believing in life after death? See, profound questions. They're not just silly questions. All the effort you've done transliterating this, time-logging them, have not been of, of use? Hmm? Editing these talks, putting them online, adding subtitles, whatever, you know. There are, there are people who've, who've requested to add subtitles in their own languages. People are requesting for this because they're realizing that, you know, in, in these words are hidden the, 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 the gems of truth. People are making requests for that. And all those, you know, all the teachers who are who, you know, from, from abroad and they, they, wherever they are, you know, they, they, are, they are offering their services to us in terms of learning languages to help us learn these languages. We've now found a Mandarin teacher. We have our own German teacher. We, are, we'll have, a, we have a French teacher. We have a few English teachers. We have a Hindi teacher. Courtesy of uh, Her Excellency, the Assistant High Commissioner. See, we, people are coming forward and they're, they're giving to the sasana. 
so that we can all do sasana. All their efforts are fruitful. When you see questions like this coming from people, and people who are miles away, thousands of miles away, they've not even seen the Swami Nansi. Now, you being present here itself is, is so productive because you know, I, I, I don't talk to the camera, I talk to you, but people behind the camera, they make use of these talks. So if it's not us who feel or experience suffering or pleasure in the future, why do we bother? <laughs> when you suffer now, do you bother? Don't you bother? Hmm? Don't you bother when it hurts you now? If someone were to come and if someone was running up to you to hit you, what would you do? Usually you'd run. Well, if that's not you, that's being hit. Why bother running? Huh? When do you cook lunch normally? In the morning, right? You're not hungry yet. So why do you bother cooking then? If you're not hungry for lunch yet, why do you bother cooking? It's still the morning. You've just had your breakfast. When you cross the road, why do you look either side? Because, you know, when you're looking either side, it's a different person to the person who's crossing the road, right? And it's a very different person to the person who's going to get run down. So why bother looking then? Hmm? And, you know, say if you've got a headache, why do you take paracetamol? Because you who has the headache is not the one who's going to be cured. So why, why bother taking, taking painkillers? It's because in, in our moment of suffering, right, we, are, we experience the excruciating pain of suffering. We experience the agonizing nature of suffering. Now, suffering is painful when it happens. So it's not our suffering. It's just suffering. Much like it's not our Nibbana. It's just Nibbana. In fact, so much so that when you think of suffering as your suffering and someone else's suffering, then we go back to what we started this morning's sermon with. I don't care who has to pay the price for as long as I'm okay. See? I'm trying to explain to you the, the, the flaw in this thinking. And I mean, we are glad that the question has come through. So it's a good question. If you think of suffering as my suffering, and then my future suffering, or my past suffering, then suffering has an owner. I must always suffer less than others. It's okay if others has to suffer, or others have to suffer, for as long as I don't have to suffer. This is what happens when you personify suffering. When you make, when you, when you identify with suffering as, as, an, as an entity. But when you see suffering as suffering, of course you know this, like in the present moment, right? you don't enjoy suffering. The hungry know what hunger feels like. The hurt know what hurt feels like. Don't they? So ask a hungry man, right, what, what do you regret? Then a hungry man would say, I regret not having earned enough 
so that I could feed my hunger. So why is he regretting about a past event? Because if it was if it wasn't him who had to earn, right? Then why 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 suffer now? Why why have regrets now? Because when hunger strikes, it's painful. When suffering strikes, it's painful. When disease, decay, and death strike, they're painful. When heartache strikes, it's painful. When fear strikes, it's painful. When grief strikes, it's painful. So what we try and do is, we try and eradicate the causes that lead to suffering, not my suffering. There's no such thing called my suffering and their suffering. It's just suffering. Suffering is painful. That's it. Now, of course you know, don't you, that it is not you who suffers. You know, yes, of course, you know, you, you perceive that this suffering happens to you. Yes, I, I grant you that. You perceive that suffering happens, suffering happens to you. But through your understanding of the Dhamma, have you not realized, at least to some extent, that although you perceive suffering as happening to you, it's not actually you who is suffering? Have you not understood that? Having understood this, having understood this fact, you're still working on eradicating suffering. A sotapanna strives to eradicate suffering. But a sotapanna is, is someone who has for the first time understood that suffering is not suffering that happens to me, it's just suffering. But because they say suffering as suffering, they see suffering as a series of cause and effect. It's a conditioned thing. Now, their focus is not on who is suffering, because the very point of, or the moment they feel who is suffering, you know, that is the point where suffering has been identified with. Suffering is not to identify with, suffering is to suffer. Like the pen is to write, suffering is to suffer. Does that make sense? What is the pen for? To write and not to own. So what is suffering for? To suffer, not to own. Suffering is to suffer. In this moment, if you experience suffering, in this chitta, do you like suffering? Do you like suffering? This, in this moment, like, you know, if you just held your finger and bent it backwards, right? Does that not hurt you? That hurts when? In the future or in the past? In the present, right? This hurts in the present. So, when this hurts in the present, what, are you, what do you try to do? You try to release. When? In the present. You're trying to relieve so that the present moment you can be free from suffering. That's why Nibbana is something you have to do now, not in the future. We always talk about this. Each chitta must strive to attain Nibbana for itself. Each, I'll say that again. Each chitta must strive to attain Nibbana for itself. Now you'll say promptly, Swami Nuhansa, but how does this chitta, although we try, now even right now I'm trying to, to attain Nibbana, Swami Nuhansa, but my Nibbana is not going to come until I'm 80. You might say. That, is, that might be true. But the, but the truth that you are blind to is that this chitta is trying to attain Nibbana. And so is the next chitta. And so is the next chitta. And, so, and the following chitta. Each chitta is trying to striving to attain Nibbana for itself. That is what's really happening. So let's say by the time you're 80, 
let's say that's the point where you become an arahant. Okay, so this chitta suffers, but it tries to attain freedom from suffering. Another chitta strives to attain freedom from suffering. Another chitta, right, let's say by this point you're an anagami, right? Now aspiring to become an arahant. Here's the chitta that is free from suffering. This is an arahat chitta. Hmm? This chitta, I'll go back a few. By this point, you are a sakrudagami. At this point, you are an anagami. Sotapanna. So, of course, any before that was Prutakjana. In these chittas, Prutakdana chittas, the effort that is made by each chitta is still to free itself from suffering. But the chitta, because of ignorance, thinks that I exist. Okay? And when I exist, I have a past and I have a future. So before one becomes a Sotapanna, they wish to become a Sotapanna, they wish to become an Arahant, and they believe that one day I will become an Arahant. They're actually talking about themselves. So a Prutakjana, when they say, I want to attain Nibbana, they think that it is them, it is they who will go on to become an Arahant and attain Nibbana. This is flawed thinking. They're only saying that because they're not Sotapannas yet. They think it is they who will go on to become an Arahant. So that's why, you know, this question wouldn't come up from someone who subscribes to that thinking. This is making sense. No? Yes? Someone who believes in a self-based thinking will not ask this question. Because they think that one day I'll have to go to the hell, the four great hells. So I better do something to free myself. Yeah? And one day I would, I would like to go and enjoy the bliss in the heavens. So therefore I want to try and do good things. And also one day I want to attain Nibbana. So I better go and listen to the sermons. And try and stay awake during the sermons. Yes? Yes. So this is all self-based thinking. A Nibbana for me. Avoid the hells for me. And go to the heavens for me. Once, one, once, this, once this person becomes a Sotapanna, actually there are no persons who become Sotapannas, there's a Sotapanna Chitta. When the, when the Sotapanna Chitta arises, a degree of ignorance is eradicated. In fact, the Drushti is pure from that point forward. But you still have the Sanya and the Chitta <coughs> that is still defiled. Okay? But the Drushti has been cleared now. And so what happens? This Sotapanna Chitta realizes that I am just a Chitta, not I am really, that this is just a Chitta. The Sotapanna Chitta is the Chitta for the first time that realizes that this is just a Chitta. Until then, what is, what is known? Mine. Sometimes they don't even know Chittas. They think I. I, I am there, I was and I will be. 
right? But when a chitta first arises, and that is a sotapanna chitta, now this chitta realizes that this is this is just a chitta. This is not I who is trying to attain nibbana. I who has to avoid the four great hells, or I who has to who has just aspired and try to go to the heavens. This is just a chitta. So this chitta, having been instilled with this newfound knowledge, this newfound wisdom, now continues to practice. Remember, it is each chitta trying to free itself from suffering. That is what these chittas do. Each chitta trying to free itself from suffering. Because there is, you know, how does this chitta know about a future chitta? These chittas have not even been born yet. At the point of this chitta, none of these chittas have even been born. And there is nothing that can be done for the past chittas. Because they've already arisen and passed away. So what can only be done can be done to the present chitta. That's it. So this chitta, this sotapanna chitta, now strives to attain, so attain nibbana for itself. In, in its effort to do that, what it does is, using the, using the wisdom that it has now gained, it, it makes an effort to, to extinguish the defilements. To exterminate the defilements, to cleanse the defilements. And once it tries to do this cleansing business of defilements, what happens is the mind faculty and the defilements that stay that lay dormant, they are, they are wiped once. One, with one swooping action, you know, like for instance, if you had a piece of cloth and there was some dust on this table, right, or any surface, you'd use the cloth to wipe the dust. Right? Do it enough times and the, and the desk will be clean. Now, you would do that with, with the same hand, won't you? You use a, uh, um, a piece of cloth and the same desk, but there's dust on it. But each, each time you, you clean it, each time you make this, this, this movement, right, the desk is cleaned once. You use the same, same piece of cloth. In the same way, each chitta, using the cloth that is the Dhamma, Wipes, wipes the defilements. This is the dust in the mind faculty. Now, don't ask the question, well, is there a fixed mind faculty then? There is no fixed mind faculty. Nothing is fixed. Even the mind faculty is a manifestation of causes. But there are the same causes that keep coming together and therefore these defilements will keep on surfacing. Absolutely. There's parisampada for everything. So punya abhisankara is also an abhisankara, right? Again, avidya pachya sankara pachya vinyana. So it leads to jati. That's why when that is why an arahant is called punya vapa ahinasa. An arahant does not do volitionally. Volitionally, they don't. They don't really. What an arahant doesn't do is is identify with the deed. They don't think that I am the one who's done the deed. But this side of an arahant, any time a good deed or a bad deed is done, I they identify themselves with it. So therefore you have Raga Jati, Dvesha Jati and Moha Jati. These are the three types of Jati. You know, there are of course various subcategories of that, but you know, collectively you can say it's Raga Jati, Dvesha Jati and Moha Jati. So this Sotapanna Chitta uses the Dhamma to wipe clean the mind faculty once in an effort to free itself from suffering, not a future Chitta. Not a future Chitta. So when that chitta passes away, the next chitta arises. What is it trying to do? Same thing. Uses the Dhamma to wipe clean the mind faculty. And that mind faculty is also not fixed. 
It is also a manifestation. So every chitta that arises, it uses this cloth to wipe the mind faculty of defilements. Each chitta trying to do that for itself. This one for itself, this for itself, and now it keeps on wiping at one point, right? The, the mind faculty is cleansed enough where the, you know, some of the cankers, as you, you know, the, uh, uh, yes, the asrava, and I'm, uh, yeah, let's keep it at asrava for the time being, right? These asrava, right, which are, which are dormant defilements, really, okay? These dormant defilements, they, they are clases. These defilements, they are, they are being wiped clean through the dhamma. At some point, the amount of defilements are wiped clean to, to a certain degree that we call that degree. This is a conventional term. We call it a sakrudagam. It's just a name. It's like when you fill a tank, you say quarter full, half full, three quarters full, and full. Right? It doesn't matter what these names are. It doesn't even matter at which points you achieve these, these, these states. Because ultimately, until you get to full tank, right, your job is not done. So really, if we were interested in asking the Buddha, Venerable Sir, what are these stages? The only question that is really worth asking, what is the stage of Arahatud? How do I know I have attained an ara- I have attained Arahatud? To which the Buddha would say, Ragake deshake mohake. When that has happened, come to realization that your job is done. Until then, these names are, you know, they're just names the Buddha gives because of his infinite wisdom. <laughs> he, he knows these things, therefore he tells us. But really, they're not of much use to us. It is of really not, not much significance for you to realize whether you have attained the state of Sotapanna. Because what do you do after becoming a Sotapanna? Go fly a kite? No, you do the same thing you've been doing to attain Sakurdagami. And then what do you do after that? The same thing you do to become Anagami. And then after that? Same thing to do to become an Arahat. What do you do after becoming an Arahat then? You do the same thing, just in case. Otherwise, you have to come across the Buddha and ask the Buddha, Venerable Sir, is my job done? I mean, if you want, you know, a hundred percent definitive answer, you have to check with the Buddha. Because, you know, you could have gone mad. Who knows? Don't you see Arahants around us? You know, sometimes you wonder, can they truly be Arahants? If that is the kind of Arahant, Arahant, I don't want to be that kind of Arahant. <laughs> but they truly believe they are Arahants. Is it, this is, this is a, there's a good lesson for us to learn from that. I always say, you know, a post-mortem is never useful to the guy who's dead. No point. What's the point of figuring out that that was poison? <laughs> to the person who's dead? No use. But to us, of much use. So when you see an arahant who's a crazy guy, right, you've got to think of that and remember, he was not always like that. When he was a prutagjana, he was far better than this. But now that he's an Arahant, good Lord, I don't want to be an Arahant, that kind of Arahant. So we take a lesson from that. The lesson we have to take is, the mind can be tricked. Are you not tricked that you exist? Hmm? Is that not the greatest con ever? So if you can be tricked that you exist, can you not be fooled that you have become an Arahant? <laughs> If one is possible, isn't everything else possible? After all, you know, once the mind believes that becoming an arahant is the most pleasurable thing, hmm? what does that lead on to? Yes, you know, then through Abhisankara, you know, if the mind wishes to identify a self, it can go all the way, even, you know, going into lunacy mode, 
right? Uh, by delusion, creating this hallucination that I am a self. We can go, if we can do all that to achieve what he wants, if the mind wishes to become an arahant, it's not going to stop until it, it achieves that. That's why Guru Hanra always tells us, don't try to be arahants. Just try to free yourself from suffering. Because then if you realize internally, I'm, str- I'm struggling, I'm, I'm suffering to become an arahant. Then you realize there's a problem. In fact, even if you are an anagami person today, Buddha, and you are still st- suffering to become an arahant, Oh, how I wish to become an arahant. I'm an anagami person. And say that even the Buddha has said, yes, you're an anagami. He has confirmed this. You're now suffering to become an arahant. You will never become an arahant until you give up that fight. Victory is always achieved by accepting defeat. That is how one becomes victorious. You just have to accept defeat. If you keep fighting for something, you will never win it. Especially when it comes to Nibbana. If you are fighting for this, you will not win this. You will win fear and loss. That's what you will win. Because the moment you acquire this, do remember that there are others who also want this. So you haven't really won this. You won this with fear or grief. If you truly want this, then give up the fight for this. Give up the fight for this. I used to fight for things in my life. I gave up it all. I gave it all up and now I have everything. I shared with you this the other day. I used to fight to have a nice car. Today I don't own a car, but I get to be driven around in nice cars. (laughs) See? Today I live in a land that is more than 30 acres. All I had to do was give up. (laughs) Any of you have a property? (laughs) Your house built on 30 acres of land? And it keeps on growing. Jetanaram today is not just in India. It's also in China. It's in Australia. It's in Poland. It's in England. It's in Australia. A big part of Jetanaram is in Australia. I have become a global citizen. All I had to do was stop, was to stop trying to become one. In desiring, you give, have to give up everything. You have to sacrifice everything. But in deserving, you get everything. So where were we? Yes. Sakrudagami, each chitta striving to attain Nibbana for itself. So this chitta tries to attain Nibbana for itself. Okay, if it's in the mode of Yoniso Manasikara, then with once one sweep, right, some of the dust is removed. Some of the defilements, you know, that might be just a fragment. You know, if you were to think of it in terms of size, just a fragment, tiny fragment. But it happens. That's why I say you have to keep on doing this. Every time you done you run a chitta with Yonaso Manasikara, you wipe it once. Every time you run it with Ionaso Manasikara, you put the dust back on once. That's the way it works. So, you know, you come along to the sermons in Saturday morning, Saturday, whole day, you listen to the sermons and you go back and watch a film. If you watch the film Sunday, and here's the other part, right? When you are in Yonasa Manasikara, just think of a time when you are doing meditation, for instance. Right? If you are in the Valley Malabar, 
right? Or sat down, whatever, doing meditation, right? How many of those chittas can you say 100% are based on Yonasa Manasikara? Because you don't have the practice yet, you know, maybe efficiency is what, say 10%, 5%. If 100 chittas run, maybe 10 of them are actually doing Yonasa Manasikara. So 90% inefficiency. Whereas when you're watching a film, how many of them are in Yonasa Manasikara? <laughs> huh? A hundred percent in Ayoniso Manasikara, right? You don't miss a beat. No, you don't skip a beat. You can relate the whole film from start to end. But if I asked you, what did you actually think about in each chitta while you were in the Valley Mandava? Now you struggle to tell us. Uh, I talk about this one, Swami Nasa, then I went into Patichasamapada, and after that I fell asleep. <laughs> but watching a film, you never fall asleep. Playing computer games, don't fall asleep. So in those moments, Ayanasa Manasikara, you have Samadhi. Concentration is perfected because of practice. That's why that is also mindfulness. <laughs> that is also mindfulness. But Ayanasa Manasikara based mindfulness. But not mindful awareness. It's, it's, it's awareness. It's awareness of something, right? Your, or your mind is full. I mean, if you put it that way, your mind is full of stuff because it's just completely focused on something. But you're not aware of it. You're not aware of the truth behind it. Therefore, when you're in a state of Ayanasa Manasikara, you're watching a film, you know, eating something, you know, you're listening to some music, playing computer games, whatever, you know, talking with friends, going to the park, walking the dog, right? Looking at the sky, watching the rainbow, looking at, watching the sunset, doing whatever, Maybe you have your headset on, listening to music, right? Doing whatever, you are completely and entirely engrossed in that experience. This is samadhi. Samadhi is where the mind runs in parallel with the with the dhamma, and dhamma is not always Buddha dhamma. There is also abuddha dhamma, which is mara dhamma. Mara dhamma is a dhamma that continues to to nurture a sense of self. So what is the efficiency of Maradam Samadhi? 100%. 100%. In fact, until you become a Sotapanna, 100% absolutely. It's only after you become a Sotapanna will that, will that efficiency of Ayonuso Manasikara start to drop and the Ayonuso Manasikara efficiency starts to increase. Maybe you start at half a percent. So the whole day you only thought about Ayonuso Manasikara in two chittas. How many chittas have you had in a day? There you go. So, you know, therefore, each time you wipe, for every wipe of dust you do, you, 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 you put like uh, tons full of dust on the table. But at least you have started wiping it. And then each time you do, you practice it. So at the stage of becoming a Sakrudagami or an Anagami, Right? Now you have practiced this enough times that perhaps you know, more of the time you are in Yonasa Manasikara and less of the time you are in Ayonasa Manasikara. As, at Pratakdana stage, you are 100% in Ayonasa Manasikara. But still, you have to keep on practicing. Practice makes perfect. Yes, if perfection is arahatut, then it is practice that makes perfect. So this practice has to continue. But each chitta is striving to free itself from suffering, not the next chitta. 
So what happens then, ultimately, when it gets to Arahant stage? Now this is what Anagami, right? So it keeps on going. This is the Arahat stage. So it each, with each chitta, wiping clean with, you know, in one sweep some of the dust, and ultimately, right, at this point, all of the dust is wiped clean. So the next chitta that arises has nothing to do now. There is no dirt. It's crystal clear, clean, pure. All the kleshas have been wiped away. The sanyojana, the fetters, the bonds, they have been cleared. The cankers, they have been, dis- yes, they've been dried out, extinguished, exterminated. So each chitta strives to attain Nibbana for itself, not for the future. So then the question, if it is not us who feels or experiences suffering or pleasure <coughs> in the future, then why do we bother? That is the answer. The, 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 the answer to that question is in, it, is in the question. It is not us who strives for or strives to free ourselves from suffering or enjoy pleasure. It is the chitta, and the chitta does that for itself. When there is vexation, right? Aren't there times where, when you're vexed, you do something which you later regret? Yeah, we talked about guilt and regret in last week's talk. If you think about why that happens, you know, the answer to that is, 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 is here. Because when the mind is vexing, the mind only wishes to free itself from suffering. If, if the mind, you know, of course, sometimes, you know, the, there are times when the mind knows that what I'm going to do can, can bring me harm. But in this moment, I need it. Because I'm vexed. I, like, for instance, um, don't you know that smoking kills? But when you want to smoke, you smoke. People who take drugs, they know the after effects of drugs. Right? Perhaps they'll be knocked out flat for many hours, maybe a whole day. And some of these drugs, like, you know, Trank, you know, the, the ones that we are seeing you know, now becoming prevalent, I, when, when they use it, you know, you have this uh, skin condition called necrosis. The tissue dies. So they know this stuff. But although they know this, they know that that suffering is going to come in the future. This chitta knows this. But in the present moment, this chitta is vexing. So it needs freedom in this moment. So the whole point here, ladies and gentlemen, is whether we look at a future or a past, what has always happened is in the present moment, a chitta has always sought salvation for itself. That is what always that is what has always happened. Because in the present moment, there is a unit, like a family that looks after itself, like an individual that looks after itself, like a country that looks after itself, a chitta has to look after itself. So when it is vexed, it needs salvation from that vexation. It needs freedom for itself. That is why sometimes you do things which you later regret, even though you know that doing this is going to bring me harm, going to put me at risk, going to bring me danger. A thief, a burglar, right? Sometimes they walk, they break a shop. They don't. They know very well the cameras are on, right? So I, I probably, I'm probably going to get uh, get arrested for this. <coughs> they know this, and perhaps you know they've even been arrested before many times earlier, but they still know this. But when they want something, they need it. In that moment, there's, there's no rationale. You can't, you can't, you know, uh, you can't do the, the, do the balances at that point. In, in that moment, you just need freedom from suffering. So each chitta for itself. But each chitta 
as it relieves itself from suffering, relieves itself from vexation, and engages in raga, dvesha, or moha, in every moment, what it's doing is it's defiling the mind faculty. Every time it does that, it defiles mind faculty. And so the next chitta that is born is also, it, it arises in a defiled mind base. Your actions will have a consequence on your children. Just as your parents' actions had a consequences and have consequences on yours. Does it not? Your parents can perhaps save up for you. Like maybe they did. You can save up for your children. If you commit a sin, if you commit um, a transgression of some sort, if you commit an offense, you will be imprisoned. Even if you are trying to save up or you are trying to steal, right, for your children, if you are caught red-handed, then you are the one who's going to end up in prison. It might be that you are doing this for your children, but you are the one who's going to prison. Yeah? In the same way, every chitta that strives to do something, even if it does this thinking that I'm doing it for a future chitta, for my future existence, for my future presence, right? The suffering that it creates is for itself. Because it is a chitta that has ignorance and attachment that suffers. When, when ignorance and attachment is in that chitta, it suffers. That is why an arahant does not suffer, although what they're going through are experiencing the karmas of their previous, vipaks of their previous karmas, but they don't suffer. How is that possible then? That is only possible because now, the, the, the only time suffering exists is in the present moment. Suffering doesn't exist in the past, it doesn't exist in the future. Your bad deeds will bring you suffering now. Your good deeds will bring you enjoyment now. Then you might ask, well, what about the good deeds of my past? Am I not enjoying the, the bliss of it now? The, the bad deeds of my past, am I not enjoying the, the bliss of it, the, the pain of it now? Then I have to ask you, what about an arahant? I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about mental. I'm not talking about the body here. I'm talking about the mind. Now, Mughalan Maharatan Mahasaya. Right, he got beaten up for a sin, a grievous sin that he'd done in the past. But although he suffered physically, mentally there was no suffering. Because mentally in that moment there was no, there was no ignorance and neither there was, was there attachment. So where ignorance and attachment don't exist, suffering doesn't exist in the present chitta. But when he did that, when he committed the sin, he was only trying to free himself from suffering in the way that he knew. Because his wife wanted him to commit that sinful deed so that they could live together and they wanted to be free from their parents. And so he committed the sin. In that moment he wanted some, that, the kind of freedom that he knew. In that moment he created suffering. It created an energy that went on to become Vipaka. And that Vipaka came back to him later on. Yes, of course, he, he had to go to the four great hells. He went into the Aviti and suffered, su suffered there as well. In that moment also, it was because of ignorance and attachment in that mind, of the, the mind of being in the Aviti. It is because of that, when, you know, when they're a flame, they think that it is I who is a flame. If this was not the case, folks, you can never attain Arahathud. If suffering is not suffering in the, in the present chitta, you can never attain Arahathud. I'm not talking about physical pain. Not talking about physical suffering. I'm talking about mental suffering and mental pain. Mental pain and suffering are only created by that very chitta. 
You are the one who creates your own suffering. When you create it, you have to suffer right now, not tomorrow. Physically, different story. I'm talking about mental. So in the chitta which has ignorance and attachment, where raga, dvesha and moha arises, those chittas, they suffer because of their own misdeed. So this arahat chitta, which, is, which now arises in a mind base that is free of defilements, it is, all it does is rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara and vijnana. No defilements, no klesha, no suffering, because no ignorance and no attachment. So suffering is not created. Jati does not happen in that chitta. It's a free chitta. But each chitta strives to free itself from suffering. That is, the, that is what I want you to get into your heads. So in answer to the question again, why do, why do we bother to avoid the four great hells? Because in this chitta, which is in the four great hells, now, you are not in the hell, so you, therefore you can't relate to this. But as a human being, you suffer. Right now you suffer. If you lost something, if you lost a child, if you lost something you loved, you suffer. If you are fearful of something that might happen, you suffer. Right? In the moment you suffer, suffering is very real, isn't it? Right? In that moment, you can't convince yourself, well, it's not me who's suffering, so why do I bother? It's okay, isn't it? You, you don't feel that because suffering and self, they come together. So a chitta that suffers cannot convince itself that it's not me who's suffering because it is you who's suffering. Don't you understand what I'm trying to explain to you? That if you're talking about suffering, you are talking about self at the same time. They only they happen together. Because if you're not feeling a self, then you're not suffering either. If you are suffering, then you're feeling a self as well. Right? So when you suffer, you can't say it's not me who suffers. It is you who suffers when you suffer. When you don't suffer, it's not who you who, who doesn't suffer. Yes. <laughs> because when you don't suffer, you're not sensing or perceiving yourself. Yes. But when you're suffering, you perceive the self. So therefore, it feels very much like it is I who's suffering. So in that moment, where do you go for, to recluse? Where do you go for resort? Where do you go for refuge? Does that make sense to you? When you suffer, it is you who suffers. When you're not suffering, it's not you who's suffering. <laughs> or who's not suffering. An arahant, ask an arahant who has attained arahathood. Not I, he will say. But who wants someone who's trying to become an arahant? Ask them. Yeah, at least if you go back, you know, past the Sotapana stage, ask a Prutakjana, who wishes to be an arahant? They'll say, I want to become an arahant. After they become an arahant, ask them, who has become the arahant? It's not me. Yes. In the same manner, someone who's suffering, ask them who's suffering? Of course it is I who's suffering. Because suffering is a product of the sense of I. It is only after jati does suffering happen. But someone who is free of suffering, it, they, wouldn't, they would not say that it is I who is free of suffering. It's a catch-22, unfortunately. When you suffer, you very much feel that it is you who's suffering. This is why, when you, you, know, you can't talk about why do I bother, why do I have to bother about avoiding the four great hells? Because when you're in the hell, right, or when you're, when you're in hell, it is very much you who's in hell. 
And when you when you are in heaven, it is very much you who is in heaven if you are there because you want to enjoy the pleasures. And when you want to attend Nibbana, when you want to attend Nibbana, it is very much you who wants to attend Nibbana. Once you have attained Nibbana, it is not you who has attained Nibbana. Does that make sense? It's a very weird concept. Very abstract. That's the thing with this Nibbana. You know, it's very out of this world. How do you explain something that is out of this world by using terminology and words that are worldly? That's, that's, the, that's the profoundness of this concept. That's why you have to realize it. Nibbana is to be realized. It's read with your real eyes. That's how you realize. Your real eye should be the eye that helps you see what is real. Yeah, Look at it really. When you look at it really, that is your realization. Nibbana is to be realized. Suffering is to be realized. The Buddha realized the Four Noble Truths. He didn't experience the Four Noble Truths. He realized the Four Noble Truths. That is what the Buddha did. I'll take another question uh, quickly. We still have a few minutes. In the sermon, Bhante says, oh, now they call Bhante. If you compare the present to your past, that's when you feel guilt. If you compare the present to your future, that's when you feel fear. To compare, you need two things, namely the event from the past or future and the present. Must be from last week's term. Kill the present and you have killed the past and future. Did I say that? Impressive. My question is, how can I kill the present? I think that is what we try to explain here. By killing the present, what I mean is, kill this perception that it is you who is in the present. When you create the present moment, and you exist in the present moment, now you have a story to tell. If you, if you exist in the present moment, you have a story to tell. A story of how I got here and where I'm getting from here. Yeah. It's like this Buddha statue. If you see this as a unit, you can ask the question, where did it come from? And where is it going? But if you see this as a manifestation, manifestations don't come from anywhere or go anywhere. They manifest when the causes are there, not at a, not at a given time. So there's no, there's no manifestation of the... You know, we're not talking about... This is a timeless concept. There are, there's no dimension of time here. This, this Dhamma that we speak of is, 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 has nothing to do with time. <coughs> the dimension of time is irrelevant. Time itself, you know, just like math, for instance... Like we say, one, two, three, four, five. You know, we, when you talk about how many pens do I have? You say, I have two pens. Because you identify each of these pens as individual things. So now you, have, you need a way to describe how many pens I have with me. Yeah, because you identify separate things. If you just for a moment look at it three-dimensionally, you tell me, so I mean, answer is difficult. You can't answer that question. Because there are no pens in your hand. So what am I holding then? These are manifestations. So if I ask you how many pens do I have, now you need a number, you need a way to describe that. So and so people come up with math. 
and then they have negative numbers and positive numbers and fractions, right? All used to identify units, units, things. Yeah. So time again is also a measure to identify how long I've been. Because if you are, then you have been and you will be. That's only true if you are. If I am, I have been and I will be. So if you are not, don't ask me what. <laughs> if you aren't, again you'll ask me, aren't what? So I'm ask, no, 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 not that. If you are not, <laughs> if you are not a self, if you are just a manifestation, so I can't say if you are not a man, you know, if there is no self, you don't experience a self. All there is are manifestations. And all there was were manifestations. All there will be are manifestations. You know, this is not talking about the... I'm not talking about the, the timeline per se. I'm talking about the sense of time, the perception of time, the perception of I have been and I will be. That doesn't exist. Take a plastic bottle and you put it to the recycling center and maybe you'll get a, you'll get a duster. Right? If you want to tell a story about the duster, you can say it was a plastic bottle in its previous incarnation. It is a, it is a duster now. In the future, it will be a chair. Now you're, talking, you're, telling, you're relating a story. You're relating the story because you are talking about what has happened and will happen to this duster. Therefore, you fix the duster. You frame the duster in this timeline of events and you talk about what happened to it and what will happen to it, past and future. That is because in the present, you have separated this as a thing. Now you're talking about what happened to this thing in the past and what will happen to this thing in the future because you're talking about this thing. If it's just a manifestation in the present moment, now what is it? A manifestation. Was it this? Hmm? Was it this? No. Take a fire, for instance. A fire is always a manifestation. A lamp and the flame... These are manifestations. It, in, at every moment, there's a drop of oil, there's the wick, there's air. Right? These three things, they combine to create a flame in the present moment. Was it the previous flame that has now become this flame? Hmm? At t equals 1, and what about at t equals 0? Was that the, that flame that had become this flame? And t equals 2 is this flame that becomes going to become the next flame? No. That's why the Buddha gives you the, the analogy of, you know, uh, like a flame is extinguished. Such is how one that has again become an arahant, right? they enter Paranibbana. Because it is, not, it is not an entity that drives from one end to the other. These are simply manifestations. Like a, a flame is only lit because of the causes that are present now. I'm not talking, I'm not trying to imply that that present is not there. That's not what I'm trying to say. That present is there. But when you start thinking, when you overlay time onto a self-based thinking, now you use time to talk, to, to give a nonsensical version of events. You're misusing time. That's basically what you're doing. This is abusing time. Time was not... Time's not there to talk about what happened to you yesterday or what's going to happen to you tomorrow. We can talk about time, yes. But once you start talking about time in relation to yourself, to, him, to fix things, 
That's where the problem is. Because time is not, was not devised to talk about what happens to fixed entities. But we can talk about the present moment. Because in the present moment, causes come together and you see a manifestation. That is, that is in the present moment. What about a second before that? Same thing. But is it that that has become this? Now that's where we are wrong. Is it this that becomes something else? That's when we are wrong. You can't say that. So if you use time to talk about that, a journey of one thing from the past to the present to the future, that is where this time-based thinking is flawed. So come out of that thinking. But you can talk about yesterday. Yesterday is merely a point at which manifestations took place. Today is purely a point at which manifestations took place and manifestations will take place tomorrow. These are simply manifestations laid out on, an, on a timeline. But we can of course say that this happened before that. But what we shouldn't be saying is, it is that that happened to this or this is, it is this that was that. That's where we're wrong. Does that make sense to you? Don't talk about this happening to that or that happening to this. That was never how it was and neither how it will be. They're just manifestations at every moment. I don't know how else to explain this. I should try and dance it out maybe the next day. <laughs> because this is a very abstract concept, that's the thing. It's like trying to convince a fish about land. Until, at least, you know, if it's a flying fish, right, it can jump out of the water and take a glimpse of land at least once. Now they understand what I'm talking about. But until such time, you'll always think, when I talk about when I talk about trees, you look at the seaweed and go, yeah, that's what he's talking about. When I talk about mountains, you look at conch shells and go, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Hmm? You talk about look at seashells in the sea and say, yeah, when he says mountains, you know, there's those big things, round things. Yeah, must be those. And there are sharp things, yeah, must be those. And trees must be the seaweed. <laughs> no. You've got to come to land to see what this is all about. At least once. You can go back again. But at least once you must have come and taken a glimpse of what, <laughs> what we are talking about. Until then, this is just this goes over your head. But, you know, this is how you're going to get to see land anyway. There's no other way. You have to listen to the Dhamma. But one day you will see it, if you haven't seen it already. If you get, once, one day you will get a glimpse of what land is. You know, you'll go back to water. That's okay. But from then on, you'll realize that happiness is on land. And then you'll make a, you'll strive to come to land. Hmm? Then you'll start growing limbs and feet and then start crawling onto land. Until then, you know, swimming in the ocean is what is fun. <laughs> that is a very abstract concept. So, I don't know how many examples or similes and metaphors we'll need, but until it, as, as many as is necessary, you keep on doing this. You keep on doing your merits. It is your merits that will help you understand. It is merits that will make these events happen. Again, as I say, you know, people who listen to these talks online, they're very fortunate. You know, it is because we come together like this on a Saturday morning, they get these talks. Uh, the venue, the people, uh, the cameras, the, the language, all of that. 
Right? My teachers taught me this language, therefore I'm able to communicate some of the, at least in this way. <laughs> at least to some extent I'm able to communicate these ideas. Sometimes I have to borrow Sinhalese terms, sometimes I have to borrow Pali terms, because they, they are better fit, better adept, adept to explaining those concepts. But somehow we try and translate them into English, and then just think about the effort that is being made to translate them into Dutch, into Russian, into Chinese, or Mandarin, into Hindi, and so on. Everyone is trying to make an effort because when people realize this is where happiness is. That's it, you know. Wherever you think happiness is, you will try to get there. Simple as that. Wherever chittas think happiness is, it will try to get there. If you think happiness is in playing a computer game, then forget the sermons, you'll be playing computer games. If you think happiness is in eating yourself to death, then you will eat yourself to death. If you think happiness is in heaven, then people will want to go to heaven. If you realize happiness is in letting go, realization, then that is what you will want to do. Every man and beast, however big or small, microscopic or macroscopic, they're all striving for one thing and that is happiness. You and I are today on the same path because we have realized that happiness is not in all those things we used to do, but it's a different journey. That's why we are now on this path. That is why we came from different walks of life we did very different things, many different things and very different things. All striving to achieve happiness. And look at all yourselves, you know, you all come here. Different walks of life, different professions, different uh, enterprises, you know, different, you know, some are families, some are wanting to become families, some are married, some are wanting to get married, some have children, some are wanting to have children and so on. Educated, uneducated, wealthy, poor, whatever. You know, we've all come here together because we realize that there's only one way to free the mind from suffering. That is Buddha Sasana. Sadhu. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. So may you all be able to do the sadhu kara. Make every effort to understand the Dhamma. Keep on at it. It will happen. It will happen. Because it is not you who is doing it. If it is you who is doing it, it will never happen. But because it is the environment that does it, it will happen. As soon as the environment is right. You know, like when you do the lock, on a, your briefcase, the, uh, what do you call it? The combination lock. Yes, thank you. The combination lock. You just have to keep on turning the wheels. At one point when the environment is right, it will unlock. You don't know when it will happen, right? If you did, then you're not just going to keep turning. Like a, ro like a thief or a robber, burglar who's trying to break into a safe. They just keep on turning the dials until the combination is right. They don't know it. They just keep doing it. But you know, if you keep doing it, it'll happen sometime. So if you keep on doing this, it'll happen. The reason that I'm here today, the Anagarikas, the Anagarikas, right? Savikas, Ravikas, Uesis, and so on. The reason that you're all here today is because you have realized that this is the path to happiness. And to whatever degree you are able to do, you have committed yourselves. I'm able, I, I want to and I wish to, and because I see no other choice, I want to commit my entire life to this. Not half of it, not part of it, not 80% or 90% or 99% of it. I want to commit 100% to it because I realize 100% of my happiness is dependent on the sasana. Not 5% of it, not even 99% of it, 100% of it. I have no hope that even 1% of my happiness can come from something else. That is why I have entirely committed myself to the sasana. 
to whatever degree you realize that your happiness will come from the sasana, to that degree you will commit yourself to the sasana. But, of course, duties, responsibilities and obligations. Hmm? Caveat. All right, it's time. Let's wrap up for the day. Thank you for the questions. And keep listening to the sermons, those online. And sadhukara will happen to you one day. All right. Let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, reminding ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasikas and upasikas who have since time immemorial protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down to generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Sripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to, the, to all the members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that amongst them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to our teacher, Guru Swami Nuhanse, as well as all the monks and nuns, all the monks resident in the monastery and the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be there by transliterating these talks, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them. Let us also transfer these merits to the friends of the monastery, our devotees, who, for the sake of merits to help them attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana, continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who provided for the construction of the monastery to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes, and medicines, as well as those who pass on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May they all rejoice in these merits and by the power of these merits. May they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these maids to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our friends and our acquaintances, our employees and employers, as well as our teachers who have made great efforts to help support us and assist us in every way, shape or form they could and available to them. Let us all transfer these maids to all of them. May they all be freed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to the devas and brahmins, spirits and demons, and primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who have committed themselves to protect and preserve the Sambuddha Sasana. Let us also transfer these minutes to our guardian deities who keep a watchful lie over us and keep us out of harm's way. May they prosper in divine power and wisdom and may they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these minutes to those who have predeceased us, our ancestors, our forefathers, those who have passed away in our name. As it is in their blood, sweat and tears today, we are able to enjoy the comforts that we do today and are able to listen and practice the Dhamma in, in comfort and, and well-being. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to those who have lost their lives in the wars, as well as those who make great sacrifices for country and nation, members of the armed forces as well as the police force. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to those who have lost their lives through natural disasters and calamities such as tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, forest fires, 
blizzards and the pandemics, may they all rejoice in these merits and reminding ourselves that in this infinitely long journey of sansara, they will all have been mothers and fathers to us, brothers and sisters to us, friends and acquaintances to us. They will have shed blood, sweat and tears on our behalf, being grateful and with loving kindness towards all of them. Let us transfer all these merits to all of them. May they all rejoice in these merits. And if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, may you and may by the blessings and power of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And may you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an arahatun nuhanse or an arahateranin nuhanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. Members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you. Raga Dvesha ginnang midatnva Moha ginnang midatnva Nibbana parana sukhayan Sukhita tara vetnva Nibbana parana sukhayan Sukhita Tara Vetma Mamada Sialu Loka Sialu Satnayo Nibbana Parana Sukhayan Sukhita Tara Vetma Nibbana Parana Sukhayan Sukhita Tara Vetma Nibbana Parana Sukhayan Sukhita Tara Vetma Raga Gini Niveva Dvesha Gini Niveva Moha gini niveva Nivansapalaveva 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 Tunduvangi Susi Ananta Mahaguna Belen Silo Loka Silo Satyoma Nibbana Paramasukhi and Sukhita Taravetva. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.